Good morning, FBC. Good morning. It's always, I'm always amazed to see you people showing up and the smiles, to see the growth, the passion that you have for Christ. Um, it's, a, it's a very powerful thing in the world that we live in. So uh, just what a blessing it is to be able to stand here and look out that way. Um, we're going to take a look at the scriptures here. Uh, the message is going to be on prayer. How many of you, when's the last time you heard a message on prayer? Anybody heard a message? I don't know that there's a lot of us that have heard much said on prayer. And I'm, I'm by no means the expert, so I'm going to the, the Word of God to try to find out what the Scripture says about that. And I'm very, in my latter years, at my age, I've seen the incredible um, way God has, has moved the heart's of people to come to him and petition him and to have a relationship with him that is astounding. In my, when I first got saved, those early years, begging Christ into my life, it, um, I didn't understand that. But as we grow in our relationship for Christ and we become intimately acquainted with him as he is us, um, there's a profoundness there. There's a going with us all day long that is um, it's, it's supernatural. We're believing in an invisible God. You don't see him, but he's here. He's impacting your lives. You're showing up here listening. I don't even want, I've kind of gone on a rant here, but uh, it just, my heart um, is so impacted by how God loves to hear from his people. He just, he loves it. Okay, so let's take a look at, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 5 through 13. This is not an exegetical uh, message. This is more of a topical. So hopefully you'll glean something from it because I'm going to try to use as much scripture as I can. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Brenda's giving me a little coaching here. So once you find your place, I just gave you a little time. Once you find your place, would you please rise with me? And out of the respect for his holy word and our God, we'll go ahead and, uh, and read the scriptures. Matthew 5 through uh, 13. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word is heard this morning beyond my frailties and my weakness. We pray, God, that you would be exalted and heard and and maybe it would nudge us as a congregation, as a people, to grow closer to you through the access that we have to you, through private prayer, constant prayer, and corporate prayer. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be joint heirs with you in that participation and being able to call you Father, our Father. Uh, we are amazed at that privilege. So um, just uh, uh, hear this um, we just pray that the service would uh, be honoring to you and we'd worship you in right thinking and in obedience. In your holy name, amen. So I, the, the message, of course, is on prayer. Um, 
It's, it's private prayer. It's what you do when you go into your closet. It's constant prayer. It's what we should be doing all day long. We all struggle with that. And it's corporate prayer. We come together corporately together as believers. And it's obvious that most of us struggle with praying biblically. Over the course of my Christian life, I have been intrigued by the aspects of confusion. There's fear, and there's lack of biblical understanding on the subject. We talk of prayer in the Christian circles, right? But is it embraced as a passionate, conscious, daily privilege? A privilege to speak to the holy God of the universe who is intimately acquainted with us. He wants to hear from us. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isaiah 65.24 states, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And Jeremiah says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you of great and mighty things that you have not known. Did you hear that? God says, draw near to him. Call on me. I will hear you. God wants a deep, ongoing dialogue with his people. We believe prayer should be part of the Christian vocabulary when we get together, right? But I don't know that we really believe God hears us. We struggle with God's omnipresence, being everywhere at once, in his omniscience, being all-powerful. Can he really be intimately acquainted and concerned about me, our church family, our friends? And when he's dealing with seven billion people on the face of this planet, this universe, how can he be intimately acquainted with our little lives? One of our aspiring men shared, uh, we have a, um, every other Friday, um, every other Friday we have a, uh, a discipleship group that comes together, and one of these men made this observation in the group, and I, I thought it was, uh, it's where many of us can go. He said, he said, let me find it here, um, here we are, he wisely said, I thought I could hide from God in my mind. I believed that my mind was a safe place to escape his presence, that he might not have access into my private thoughts. But when God's word began to convict my conscience with this untruth, I was struck, and he used the word terror, because now God had access to his mind. He came to the understanding based upon scriptures like Psalms 139 uh, that begin to transform this young man's life. The scripture says, O Lord, you have searched me. You have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. It goes on and on about his intimacy right into the mother's womb. Yes, God loves to hear from us. God loves it. He loves it when we call on him. Praising, thanking, adoring, pleading, repenting, confessing to him. He is our father. We cry out to him, Abba. Help me, I am weak and needy. What parent does not love talking with their children? When a child asks for, <clears throat> when a child asks for anything, the parent discerns is good for them. The parent lovingly gives to the child. And then Luke, um, Luke 11, Jesus said, suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. Will he not give him, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? No, he's going to take care of him, give him the best. You must daily be reminded by God's word and by brothers and sisters right here. We need to encourage one another. And that we must be praying people, that we must break away from old habits of anemic prayer life 
and adopt a new, vibrant prayer life. We need to pray privately, constantly, and corporately. Be blessed beyond all comprehension. Be blessed in knowing the God of your salvation. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him in a passionate, intimate relationship. Yet prayer can be a difficult task. We are so conditioned to live our lives through a little kingdom. Our flesh recoils at prayer. If we pray only when we are in trouble, if we pray, um, we are, we, excuse me, if we pray only when we are in trouble, we are in trouble. The devil hates our prayer life, and we simply are not taught and practicing private, constant, corporate prayer. We are not taught the sweetness and the peace that comes from engaging in prayer. The English theologian Michael Reeves said, <clears throat> praying is enjoying and pleading for the friendship and friendly assistance of God. Jonathan Edwards said, prayer is as natural expression of faith as believing is to life. In Luke 10, 1, Christ sent out, remember this, he sent out 70 men in pairs and 12 disciples. And they went out and they healed. They, they took the demoniacs and they healed them. They performed miracles, all sorts of wonderful things they did. And yet they came to Jesus and asked him to teach them how to pray. The disciples observed how Jesus loved to pray to the Father. They could do the most amazing miracles, yet were intimidated by using this most powerful gift that God has equipped us with. Back in 1560, Mary Queen of Scots said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. That's how powerful his prayers were. There's three elements of prayer that we're talking about. That's private prayer. prayer. The scriptures, I'm not going to go into this deep, but the scriptures say in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? Makes sense. We, we understand that. Next is the constant prayer, a little more difficult. Romans 12, 2. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, be constant in prayer, and then pray without ceasing. What does that look like? That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. And then finally, this is where my most my emphasis is, is corporate prayer meetings. These are the survival of the church. That's what pulls us together and really unites us. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father who is in heaven, we just read it, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice Jesus was teaching the people to pray corporately. He used personal pronouns, our and us, instead of me and I. It's a fascinating concept. Let's try and look at prayer using two main points. By no means does this cover the subject, believe me. We are just scratching the surface. Number one, why do we pray? And number two, how do we pray? Let's keep it simple. First, why do we pray? God commands us to pray. Simple answer. Every relationship that we have involves communication, right? Prayer is communicating with God. How do you know your friends, your coworkers, your children, your spouse, if you do not communicate with them? The simple logic is, the less we communicate with those around us, the less we know them. 
We may know about them, but we can't know them intimately. We can know about God from his scriptures, but if we do not speak to him through prayer in response to what we know of him from the scriptures, our intimacy with him is drastically limited. Psalms 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. What a comfort. Second Chronicles 7, 14, God says, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, a pastor that I, I enjoy listening to, his name is Mike uh, Faberis. Um, he comments on the purpose of prayer. Why do we pray? Quote, one of the biggest misunderstandings about prayer relates to the reason God calls us to pray. A survey of popular discussions about prayer may lead us to believe that prayer is all about getting God to do what we want. But this is clearly not the case. There are two primary biblical reasons God calls us to pray. Number one, God is not a force or a principle or a rule to live by. God is a person. He created us to glorify him as we praise him, we serve him, and personally relate with him. While sin created a serious barrier in the perfect relationship, we will not be completely rectified until we are personally in his presence with glorified bodies. There is a foretaste of our personally relating to our God when we engage in prayer. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times. All people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Mike continues. His second point is, a second reason God calls us to pray is that we are to be part of what God wants to accomplish. Prayer is not a me-centered mechanism to get more of what we want, Instead, it is God's gracious opportunity for us to be a part of what he is accomplishing in our lives and in the world. This is made clear in the way Jesus taught us to pray. End quote. God uses us as means. He uses us as a means to his end. We'll just go on. I can just kind of go out there with that. We tend to default to God is sovereign. God's providential, right? Uh, it, he, he's going to do everything that he's going to do. Uh, God is going to save who he's going to, he chooses to save. So why pray? If he's sovereign, if he's, if he's, uh, if he can do all those things, why even go there? We can't see him. So God will do what he's going to do in spite of my prayers. So I pray. He's immutable, unchanging. I can't change his mind. And Psalms 33, 11 says, God's counsel is fixed. So how are you going to change that? Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, the counsel of the Lord stands. So if God never alters his plans, why pray? That can be the mindset that can creep into our lives. Because we are commanded to pray, that's why, the prayers of a righteous person accomplishes much, Proverbs says. The scriptures are speaking against that former dialogue. Our prayers are highly important to God. Look what he does in Revelation at the end of this, of the end of, uh, this age. 
Would you please take and look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 with me, and just read it so bathe your mind in this amazing truth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are precious before the Lord. These prayers represent all of the saints of all time praying for the redemption of souls. God has ordained our prayers to be the means to his sovereign end. Yes, God uses us to do his work, to accomplish his providence. God uses, how about sharing the gospel to call those dead in Christ? We know he's going to save who he's going to save, but we have to go out and share the gospel. It's a privilege. We call them out of darkness into light from bondage into freedom. He has and is using many of you to plant seeds of the gospel. I've heard it, I've seen it in you. And to harvest souls for his kingdom. We don't change God's mind. We fulfill his purpose. God uses our prayers as a means to his end. Trying to grind that one in. Participate with God in his work by prayers. Be persistent, be urgent, be bold, be expectant when you pray. Don't be timid. He loves to hear from his children. He loves to give you what you ask for. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. You can storm heaven's door. You have not because you ask not. So again, why do we pray? We are commanded to pray. We have not because we ask not. We are his children. Children speak to the Father. We have a Father that we can actually intimately acquaint ourselves with. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, We have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs, you own it. You own, you are part owners with the kingdom. We are his children. We are joint heirs, heirs of the property. It goes to them. They get it all. I don't understand that. Our Father wants to hear from us, praying. Speak to God, and also speaking to God, what does it do? It takes our minds off ourselves and fixes them upon Him. There's no single book, there's no single sermon that can say everything that needs to be said about prayer. I'm just, you're going to see all sorts of, of gaps. But a fruitful prayer life is cultivated by constant practice. Quoting a Puritan, here's what he said, I'd rather hear 10 faithful prayers to one sermon. We've spoken about why we pray, so now my desire is to focus on, on uh, corporate prayer meetings and, this, and, and how we pray. Those two things, corporate prayer meetings and then how we pray. We want to be examining how prayer shapes the life of the church much has been written about prayer as an individual discipline, individual, but not much has been written or preached about prayer as a necessary communal activity that shapes local churches. It changes them, either by its presence or its absence. The practice of corporate prayer is where the people come together and wrap their arms around the local church body as they labor in prayer, one with another. So next, how do we pray? Um, let's, if you're not there, yeah, we're probably not there. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13 again. 
Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So we're going to look at how, how do we pray. Our Father starts, He's our Father. God is not just my Father, but He's our Father. Notice the corporate connection. We are a church family. We are not saved into ourselves. We are saved into the body of Christ. And that's where we corporately minister to one another. We edify one another. So we pray, our Father, not my Father. No man's into an island in himself. We just, we corporately wrap our arms. We're more concerned about others than ourselves. Uh, that's what makes the church healthy and grow and prosperous. The question that the, the disciples had for Jesus was, teach us how to pray. Notice the personal pronouns in the passage. We, we talked about this a little bit, our and us. It's interesting to note of the 37 prayers that Jesus prayed in the New Testament, 33 of them were corporate Jesus was praying with someone else in his presence. And when we pray, we are praying as believers in a local body corporately. We're concerned for others, not just for ourselves. We pray for one another. Relationships, plural, more than relationships, singular. We are accustomed to thinking of prayer as primarily as an I, me, in the singular. Jesus was exhorting the Pharisees who were praying on the street corners and in the synagogues who were wanting to be seen by men for their righteous behavior, right? Remember that? But in verse 1 of chapter 6, as the Pharisees were practicing their righteousness before men to be noticed by them, they were bragging and boasting when they gave to the poor. They were performing these acts that were supposed to be seen as worship rendered to God. They were actually displays of self righteousness to gain the admiration of others and Christ says they will have no reward while praying in isolation may seem like a good safeguard against the temptation to impress others with our prayers praying always and only by ourselves may be an overcorrection beware of that Bible scholars consistently make the observation that throughout the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5 through 7. You know, you can do this on your own time, and we don't have enough time to go through and see how this works out. But if you take Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus tends to use the singular pronoun when he's speaking to the crowd about morality. His instruction on lust, idolatry, divorce, and vengeance are all in the singular. But when talking to the same crowd, same group of people, about prayer, all of his pronouns were plural. Chapter 6, where we are, 9 through 13. This isn't a grammatical slip. This is Jesus instructing us. We are a family because we have the same Father. And before we request anything in prayer, we were reminded that God is not merely our sovereign judge and ruler. He's our Father. Jesus died as a substitute for our sin to justify us, to declare us righteous in God's courtroom. But he justified us so that he might adopt us into his family. This means that when we come to God, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have time to exegete the passage in 6, 9 through 13 to the fullest this morning. But a couple of years ago in our small group study, uh, John MacArthur condensed this passage in a helpful way. Watch for, he used um, P eight times as you go through these verses. So if you look at verse 9, we see God's paternity, the first P. We pray to our Father, paternal. The name above every name, he is hallowed. Now the next second P is he's the highest priority. Because he is holy, and his program, verse 10, is that his kingdom is coming, and his purpose is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
his provisions in verse 11 go far beyond our need. He gives us all way more than we need. And then he has pardoned us in verse 12. All our debts have been pardoned. And then he is the great protector in verse 13. And to think that we're able to approach his preeminence is the last P. His preeminence in all his kingdom power. When we pray to our Father in heaven, he gets all the glory he deserves. He created us to glorify him. When we pray to God in those moments, I like this concept. When we pray to God in those moments, we're connecting with his power and his omnipotence. It's actually at our disposal. We pray. We are praying. When we pray, we move things. He said you could move mountains. Let me say that again. When we pray to God, in those moments, we are actually connecting with his omnipotence. And at that moment, his power is at our disposal. Jesus wants us to know that. This is how we pray in power. So the remaining time I want to spend is um, uh, focusing on prayer meetings. I've read quite a bit about this, and I'm by no means an expert on it, but I've, I've read a lot of uh, Puritans uh, back four or five centuries just to hear the heart of the people as they pray corporately in prayer meetings, what those look like. So Jesus himself, while rebuking the money changers in Matthew 21, 13, said, he even call it, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not necessarily a house of preaching. Interesting that he, he made that observation. Sunday evenings, right here, we come together in our prayer meetings, here and in the Dalles, we'll be over there tonight. We all go over there on, uh, uh, once a month. And for one hour, for one hour, we will gather, not on our own strength. We're pretty weak by Sunday night. And, and we're needy. But we're going to be there, and we're going to call on God's infinite strength. It's there that we gather and pray that God's will be done. We give thanks. We praise him. We exalt him. We adorify him. We, 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 we glorify him in, in all, of our, our, all of our ways. And it's there that we confess our sins, one with another. It's there that we pray for the souls of our children. Oh, if you only heard those prayers that go out. The, chair, the prayers for our children, our family, and our friends, and for you, the congregation. We pray for you by name. And of course, we petition. Of course, we petition God for health and provisions. But that's not the highest priority because it's appointed unto man to die once. After this comes the judgment. The outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. So we recognize our weakness when we come together here. And, and to, to stand alone against the forces of evil in the fallen world, we know that we had to come along. Christ has got to be there with us. So Christ himself even shared in his weakness, I thought this was fascinating, in his humanity, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't go back there with shoulders back and all pulled together. He went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he asked his disciples, can't you just stay awake with me for one hour? Remain here and watch and pray with me. Christ was expressing a, a, a humble posture before our all-powerful God. We come together as many into one body to corporately express our dependence upon God. For in our weakness, God perfects his strength. You know that God loves it when we come together corporately. It's, it's so honoring to him. Statistically, the prayer meetings are the least attended function of the church. Most pastors say that they are fortunate to get maybe 10% of their people to attend a prayer meeting. We do, quite, we do better than that. Yet the church's foundation begin in prayer. 
in Acts chapter 1, 14, that was the church's first prayer meeting. That was the birth of the church. It didn't start in preaching and healings. It started in prayer meetings. They come together corporately and begin to pray. Church prayer meetings are the greenhouse that God uses to glorify himself and grow his church. You can believe that. What God has done in the past in the lives of the prophets and the apostles and the followers of Christ should cause us to remember that he promises that he will continue to do great things in the future. When we look what he's done in the past and how he sustained this, this whole universe, it should give us confidence that he is going to answer our prayers. In the Old Testament, what did he do? He parted the Red Sea. The sun stood still for Joshua. Jesus fed 5,000. Peter raised Tabitha. Paul raised Eutychus. Elisha raised his son of the widow. The list goes on. You've read the stories. We will not consistently pray if we are unsure of God's abilities, right? We will not consistently pray if we are unsure of God's abilities. If he can't do it, and sometimes I think we tend to think that. He's not going to pray. I've been praying for my son for years. Nothing's happening. I've been praying for her health for years. It's not changing. So much of our failure to pray comes from subtly believing that God would not follow through with what we corporately pray for. And so we limit what God can do and try to accomplish tasks on our own. And, you know, when we come together corporately, there's a great encouragement with one another. When you're there by yourself in your little prayer closet praying, there's no one there wrapping their arm around you, and there's no tears coming down, and you're, you're not sensing what's going on in their life. It's very private. It's, it's good. It's fine. But don't think that that's the only place we need to pray. 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon made this observation on the church that had very little emphasis on prayer meetings. This is Charles Spurgeon. Quote, if a church is to be what it ought to be for the purpose of prayer, we must train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting, is, it's only a skeleton of the gathering. It's the form is kept up, but the people do not come. There's no interest, no power in connecting with the people. Oh, my brothers and sisters, he says, let it be not so with you. Do you train the people to continually meet together for prayer? In the book of Acts, Luke records they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. If you take a table, it has four legs, and you remove one, the table will top. There's four legs that are foundation to holding the church together. You can't just be preaching. It can't be just fellowship. It can't be just breaking of bread. You've got to have prayer, corporate prayer also. Those are the four pillars on which the church stands. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. When true believers are saved, they are not saved into themselves. Really important to get this concept. When we are saved, I, back in 1973, didn't get saved unto myself, living for myself. I was saved into a body of people. And that's demonstrated by the ordinances of water baptism. You weren't baptized into yourself. And the breaking of bread. We are a body connected with one another. We are a people called out from ourselves into the life of others. Praying corporately grows an intimate fellowship between brothers and sisters it decreases pride. It promotes humility. That's very humbling praying together. And in prayer meetings, you deeply engage with those around you in their lives, their needs, and their concerns. And you, you're becoming more than your, than your own because we are one body. We are so engaged with one another, you lose yourself there. Um, 
It's, it's quite fascinating. You are reminded to serve rather than to be served, right? Jesus says, he said, he came to serve, not be served. And he asks the same of us. And you can be sure that Satan trembles when we pray corporately. You know he does. For when we pray together, God's power is unleashed against the enemies of darkness. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. Prayer is the pathway to the power of God. Every one of us have so many needs. This is what's amazing. We have so many needs. I've heard your needs and your brokenness, the unsaved families and friends and children. Yet we find it so difficult to even share the gospel we do. It's a hard thing to do. There's so many troubles out there. Our government is darkened and it's turned against God. Our marriages are struggling. We're looking for therapists. We're fearful. There's so much need for prayer, right? If we were so burdened with so many hurts and broken hearts, then why aren't the prayer meetings full? Every one of you have got some tough things going on. This means of grace God gives us is not being used to its fullest. That's all we're saying. We're just going to pull this up. We're never going to be perfect at this, but we want to be closer to God and what prayer looks like, closer after today than we were yesterday because of God's word. So this means of grace God gives us is not being used to its fullest. We find it so easy to grumble and blame God for not making our life more trouble-free. But there's an analogy here. But if, if we don't eat, what happens? We starve. If we don't drink water, we die of thirst. If we don't exercise the muscles, they atrophy. If we don't breathe, we suffocate. Just as there are physical means to sustain the physical life, there are spiritual disciplines of grace that support the spiritual life. Praying together is life and strength to the body of Christ. It's breathing. It's inhaling the living word of God, and it's exhaling adoration and confession and thanksgiving. Martin Luther, you've all heard about him. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Tozier says, the creeping wilderness will soon take over the church that trusts in its own strength and forgets to watch and pray. I can see these oppressive vines creeping over the church to squeeze out its life if we are not fighting against the evils of the world through prayer. In the past five years or so, FBC's attendance level has diminished significantly. I remember when we had two services here. Um, uh, there has been more souls that have been called to glory than new people to come to church. If you look at your uh, directory, you look at the faces, and you can see most everybody, it was, most everybody had color hair like myself. Uh, the simple observation is the church is not sustainable unless God raises up FBC's next generation. We're quite aware that God is the one that builds his church not us, but we are called to come alongside him and be active participants in what he's doing, the world scope. It, the, the job of proclaiming the gospel and admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. I like that. He, in Colossians 1.28, he said, every man, three times in that one passage, no one's left out. Heavy emphasis. I have a few answered uh, prayer testimonies to share. Just a couple of things that I've seen happen in the last four and a half years of praying. Corporately, in a prayer meeting, right here. God, um, we prayed when we came together. God, would you, revive, would you revive the hearts of the people here at FBC? Would you bring a new young generation of gospel committed people that would be the future of our small church? Amazingly, amazingly, God heard our prayers. 
But should we be surprised? No. He parted the Red Seas. He said, God heard our prayers and began to draw the hearts of men and women from the east. And there has been a steady migration of souls from the Dalles, Goldendale, and beyond that are faithful, gifted saints that are deeply committed to leadership, to discipleship, to leading in worship, etc. When Bruce retired, we fervently prayed for a new pastor, and God heard our prayers. Without describing all of the sweet details, I mean, we could, the elders and, and many others could attest to the details that uh, came about because of our prayers. Um, God called on Chris and Ashley Mullen to become our next pastor and wife. And seeing what God has done from the Dalles and beyond, we became even more specific in praying for people from Hood River to come worship with us here. Sure enough, sure enough, God answered our prayers, and he's raising up souls from here locally as well. The elders and prayer meetings in both Hood River and the Dalles have been convicted by Jesus' last words. He could have said a lot of things, but you know his last words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Matthew 28, 19. God has also continued to answer our prayers by raising up a, a wonderful group of younger men that are being discipled by older men and younger women that are being discipled by older women and growing them to bear the image of Christ in them. Galatians 4.19. And now they are being called to replicate. Not, it's not a dead-end street when you get saved. It's not a cul-de-sac. You, you replicate. And the scriptures are clear about that. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. There's four generations right there from 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. You get it, you hear the news, and you spread it. And there's nothing more exciting. Every one of you will attest for the, the great joy just to share uh, the gospel with someone that's living in darkness. There is a deep abiding union that comes from praying corporately. When we invest our lives into one another face to face, shoulder to shoulder, you're making war against the enemy. And there's a bond of serving and glorifying God together that becomes a selfless act of obedience to our magnificent Savior, Jesus. We've got private prayer, constant prayer, and corporate prayer. They transform lives. You won't be the same. Know God intimately by coming together and encouraging one another to corporately, corporately to pray. And when you begin to do that, it's interesting. When we come together corporately, it does help my private life. When I go into my private place to pray, there's something powerful that I've already practiced this with the accountability of others, and now I go into my private life, and it, it, it intensifies. And when I'm driving down the road, where's the mind, Steve? Am I thinking about eternal things? Am I praying to him, or I'm just thinking about the music I'm listening mm -hmm. on the radio? So it does do a tremendous thing there. Um, anyway, if there was an overwhelming proof, here's, here's the point. If there was overwhelming proof that Jesus Christ was going to be showing up bodily form at our prayer meeting tonight, he's going to be showing up. There's great evidence to pray with us and for us. You would agree with me that there would not be enough space for all to attend, either here or at the Pikerts. Believe me, if there was evidence, all of Hood River would show up. We tend to believe if we can see, but if we can't see, our belief is weak. We are people that like to see and touch. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be there tonight to intercede for us. Hebrews 7.25. We must believe in this invisible God, 
In 1 John 17, 11, Jesus said, prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name. This is the high priestly prayer. He's praying for, the, for, for those that would follow his believers. The name which is that you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. We should be living by faith, not by sight. We've got to practice. We've got to work on it. We've got to pray about it. I love this Latin term, quorum Deo. Living in the presence of God. People, we must have that mindset. God is here. He knows every hair on your head. He's intimately acquainted with you. And contemplate this, those things, and you will change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, your word to call us to have a relationship you, with you. We thank you for the unfathomable depths of your wisdom and knowledge of all of your attributes. Father, we know about you, but we want to know you more personally. We want to be more intimately acquainted with you. God, let us be like the disciples that came and said, teach us how to pray. But we know it begins by just moving, obeying, and listening to your word. So let this not be a guilt trip, Father. Let this be a spirit-drawn uh, movement. And uh, you do the work, Father, because uh, we can't. There's no organizations. There's no, uh, there's no motivation by, by, by man that can motivate us to be a praying people. So convict us, grow us. Uh, thank you, God, for this congregation. Thank you for this people. We are so blessed to be walking with one another that we still have our doors open and we can still come together and just acknowledge you and make much of you. You are worthy of our worship. In your holy name, amen.